This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. This is episode 23, and our guest today is Jenna Blankenbaker. Jenna is an old friend back from my UF days when we were going through the Ag Ed program there, and she is currently a high school ag teacher. We're going to talk to her what it's like being a high school ag teacher, the day in the life of an ag teacher, what it's like to build a program, what's it like working with students now in 2019, and just a whole bunch of really cool stuff. So if you're interested in agriculture education or just learning more about what it's like being a high school teacher, this will be a great podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, well, Jenna Blakenbaker, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Trevor. So we go back, man, when did we graduate from UF? Like six? No. 2014. God, we're old. So we both graduated in ag ed. <laughs> so walk us through like your ag background. Like what kind of started your little passion for agriculture? Yeah, so I am originally from Brooksville, Florida. My parents are not in um, production agriculture at all. My dad's in construction and my mom um, works in like social services and that sort of thing. And so whenever I was in third grade, I joined 4-H and started showing um, pigs and steers and, you know, did that all through middle school and then high school, joined FFA, obviously. I always knew I wanted to work with like animals and, you know, when you're young, you automatically think if you work with animals, you have to be a vet. So as I got older and learned more about different things and joined FFA in high school, I knew immediately I wanted to get more involved in agriculture. But my background really is not very extensive. Um, I, like I said, I joined FA in high school and um, before that was in 4-H starting in elementary school but I don't come from like a production background so to say. 
And then after high school, I uh, had some money saved up from my, my showing and decided to start my own small, very small cow-calf operation um, and found like a lease. And, um, you know, we put water and land or, um, and fence on it and bought some cows and that sort of thing. So I kind of started doing that on my own until I had to move to South Florida and then I sold everything. So <laughs> that was kind of a little bit about, you know, just my background and, and what got me started, I guess, in agriculture. I like it. Well, then what, what made you get started in um, being an ag teacher? I know we, we were at UF for two years and man, we learned a lot, a lot, a lot of really good classes. So what kind of got you interested in being an ag teacher? Pretty much. I always knew I was going to be a teacher. Um, I'd say right from the rip, like I was that kid who would bring home extra uh, workbooks over the summer and have like class for my younger sister and my neighbors on our back porch and that sort of thing. So I always knew I was going to be a teacher. And then immediately, as soon as I got into um, ag class in high school, it just kind of clicked like, okay, so that vet thing, that probably is not my calling. And this teaching thing is still something I want to do. So it just made sense to go to school to be an ag teacher. And I kind of decided that like ninth grade year and didn't really ever change my mind. So, you know, did my associates at the community college and then transferred to UF. Um, and then that's where we did our ag education degree and um, got hired as an ag teacher right after that. And I've been at the same school ever since. All right. Well, well, here is a question that I know is going to be super complicated <laughs> to answer. Tell us about a day in the life of an ag teacher. I know like when they're trying to, to get people interested in being an ag teacher, they always say it's never the same day twice. So tell us what's the typical day or what are the typical days like of being an ag teacher? Yeah, that's a hard question to answer, um, which, you know, you've taught ag for a couple of years, too. Um, so my day is literally never the same day. I mean, there are some parts of it that I have to do every day, like have first period and have second period and that sort of thing but beyond that it's pretty much never the same I try to come up with with lesson plans and and stay to a structure but you know things happen and so we actually have pretty large facilities at my school um, and I'm a one teacher program so that also kind of makes it a little bit more interesting as far as getting things done um, but the facilities the facilities at my school, we have a, um, a barn that we house market animals, both steers and pigs. And then I have some beef breeding animals and some cow-calf pears and some chickens. So we have about, we have anywhere from 16 to 18 market pigs a year. I have anywhere from six to nine steers on campus. Um, I have four cow-calf pairs, and every once in a while we'll have some breeding animals. So I might, you know, grow some of our heifers, our bulls, so the kids can show them and raise them, and then we'll sell them as yearlings. Um, and then we have some chickens. So that that's part of it. Then, then we have um, a garden, and I call it a garden, but it's really, it's not like, I don't know. It's not really a garden, but it's not really a farm. So it's somewhere, somewhere in between. Um, last year, we only did about 400 plants, but two years ago, we did almost 4,000 plants. So we work with the USDA um, on, on that. We try to do as accurate as possible to like a production farm so that the kids have a, you know, glance into real world 
farming practices. Um, we do vegetables that we grow for our cafeteria, which has been super cool, and I've learned a lot throughout that process. This year, we're continuing to work with the USDA and our district's cafeterias to be able to grow them some produce as well. So, you know, with that comes issues as well. You know, we have bedded, we have bedded down rows. So we have irrigation timers and all that sort of thing. Um, so to answer your question, that really didn't answer it. <laughs> a day in the life of an ag teacher. So wake up early, of course. Um, try to get to school on time, which is, is not easy. But our school, we have to be there by 640. Um, I try to get, make my morning be kind of like my morning where I can use it to plan because after school is like go, go, go. Um, but with that many animals on campus, they all come with kids. So typically... I have at least one kid in there a morning with, you know, questions or a pig is not breathing right or a steer is not eating well. And so, you know, you're playing vet early on in the morning. Um, go through your classes. You can attempt to stay on your lesson plans, but things have happened where irrigation breaks and we have to go fix irrigation or a cow is sick or one of our cows is giving birth. And so we go outside and the kids get to watch get to watch the calving process and you know all those are learning opportunities so you don't take that away from a kid um just because you have a lesson plan like you just leave the lesson plan and move on to you know what's next so um those kind of days are awesome i love them and then after school we do cde practices so our career development events um we do a couple different teams at my school. We do livestock judging, vegetable, um, ornamental horticulture, meat judging, poultry judging. So throughout the year, it depends on which time of year we are. But those last anywhere from like an hour to two hours after school, we'll do practices. Um, then I usually try to go through the barn again and make sure everything's getting done. Because like I said, with all those animals, they all come with a student. Um, and so that many kids out there, you kind of have to make sure that there's some sort of order and conduct. Um, and then at some point during the day, I try to sit down and make plans for the rest of the week. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, FFA meetings, alumni meetings, staff meetings, all of that kind of uh, corresponds as well. So that is kind of a very messy description of a day in life. It is so hard to describe a day in the life of an ag teacher because it is so different from every day. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, you're definitely one of the busier people on campus. And mm -hmm. and you said you're, you're a one teacher program. And that's crazy because most of the time it sounds like a program like that is going to have two, maybe three teachers. But you're a, a one teacher program doing all that. So kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely um, exciting <laughs> would be the best word. Some days it's like, wow, this is a lot for one person. But, um, you know, the more I do it, the more I learn little tips and tricks on how to make it a little easier. And my kids can get more involved. And so I really rely on them a lot, which is good. It's a good experience for them because they get to really step into a leadership role, um, you know, before high school ends. So that's pretty cool. Gotcha. Yeah. I can imagine. Uh, what's the program like in the students? Like, what are the officers like? What are the, the students that are in the ag classes that might not be in FFA? I mean, are they pretty, is it like a very ag community or are there some kids that just haven't really been around ag their whole lives? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So when you hear like the description of my program, you want to automatically think that I'm like in this super rural area with a lot of agriculture kids that grew up in production ag and and you know they're prepared and ready to go on day one and all that sort of thing and that is so not the case that where I'm at so um Fort Pierce is a very interesting city I'm not from Fort Pierce um but that is where I'm at now and so Fort Pierce is very interesting you know we're right on the coast so we have like the coastal area and the beach and that sort of thing then we have um, more of an urban suburban area and then just a, you know 10 minutes away from that we have like the western area of the county and so that's just pure agriculture and we have some of the largest um, cow-calf operations in the nation in our in our city which is awesome um, we actually get to tour some of them will go to Adams Ranch with my kids and they're just amazed they're they're amazed at that that something that large is in their city because a lot of my kids are in that suburban group in the center. So I teach at a low um, socioeconomic school. A lot of the kids live closer to like the poverty line. Um, and I teach a lot of minority kids. Um, so it's very different than where I'm from. And it was, you know, to teach there at first, I had to do a lot of adaption because you know, like where I'm from, kids come into ag and they know what in the heck it is. But now where I'm at now, you know, the kids come in and they they don't have a clue what the word agriculture is, um, what it means. They don't have any sort of background in agriculture whatsoever. Um, you know, every once in a while, I'll have a couple kids who, you know, are in 4-H or they know what they're doing and that kind of thing. But the majority, the vast majority of my students have no background in ag. And so at first it was kind of a challenge, but it has turned out to be pretty fun. Um, I will say that teaching those kids compared to like where I did my student teaching and the kids were much more involved in agriculture, they definitely get more involved early on. I mean, they are so far removed from it that when you start talking to them about things, they have a billion questions. Um, they wanna see it, they wanna do it. They are the ones arguing over who gets to help build the fence. I mean, there are days that we're building fence in class, and my kids who have never picked up a hammer before are arguing over who gets to hold the hammer. And, like, that is the coolest thing in the world for me to see. Um, obviously, though, you know, that kind of uh, culture can bring other issues. You know, uh, I don't have a, always have a ton of parent involvement um, with my students. Although throughout the years, I have built a really strong um, booster club, so it is getting better. Um, I think as I as I stay there and as I learn how to kind of um, incorporate parents and you know and that sort of thing. But like I said, so my kids are super far removed from agriculture. It's pretty neat to see them um, be able to get involved and learn about it. And you know, I love when they come back to school and they tell me they were at the supermarket with their parents and they were they never look so closely at the meat cooler or something like that. They'll tell me things like that. And it's just it's pretty exciting. You know, a lot of these kids I don't believe will ever go on to be necessarily in act production agriculture or maybe even the agriculture field at all and I tell them that you know if you do that's awesome I'd love it but if you don't 
let's work on making you an informed consumer. Like we have so many consumers nowadays who have no idea where their food comes from, how it's grown. So these kids may never be the ones growing it, but they are definitely going to be buying it. And I'd love to, you know, play a small part in helping them become a little bit more aware of what they're buying. And then as far as my officers go, I have a pretty big officer team this year. So I have 10 kids who who are on my officer team. I have an array of students. So my officers tend to be the more, you know, typical ag kids, I guess you could say. But that's not always so true. So I have a very diverse officer team, which is awesome. It brings a lot of diversity to the group. Um they come up with not your typical ideas because they're not, you know, they haven't been in it forever. And, you you know, they bring new ideas. Even to me, I'm like, wow, that's an awesome idea. So a few years ago, we did something where one of my officers who is Hispanic wanted to do like agriculture in every country. And so we split it up between the classes and each class picked a country and they researched agriculture in that country and um, food that's grown in that country. And then we did like a dish. So um, from that country with the food that is grown in that country. So it's pretty neat. Um, And since I teach such a diverse population, you know, a lot of their parents got involved because they like to cook traditional food. And I mean, I really teach a diverse population. So we had a lot of different countries covered. It was super cool. Um, But it's different. It's not your typical ag kids, but I really, really enjoy working with them. That's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you're at least like kind of sparking the interest of those kids that aren't, that weren't really interested in ag. And now they're like, oh, hey, I want to do agriculture or I know what stuff going on in in the meat or at the meat cooler, the supermarkets. That's really cool. You're kind of sparking their interest. I like that. Um, do you still, I experienced this for the two years that I taught, are you experiencing it where, um, guidance counselors would just kind of dump kids into ag classes, not knowing, just thinking that, oh, it's a, it's an easy class. Do you still kind of experience that? Yeah. So I've had a lot of conversations with my guidance counselors at, um, at my school in my first year, two years, I had a lot of that. Um, and they would dump, so foundations the first level ad class is also science credit and so like seniors who haven't passed enough science credits and need a science class and they assume it's an easy science credit they would just dump those kids in there which you know typically not always but typically that came with a lot more behavioral issues and that sort of thing so after those two years I I you know kind of had a really firm conversation with my guidance and my administration. And I was like, listen, we're not doing anybody any justice by doing this. We have to figure out a new solution. Um, so my my school counselors and guidance team really works all well with me now on making sure that my kids are following the right courses and that sort of thing. It is difficult, um, I would say, recruiting in the area that I'm in because when you just look at a course schedule you know it says ag foundations or agri-science foundations or whatever it says and um like I said my kids are so removed from it they don't know what that means so a lot of kids don't pick it right off the rip so that's one of the things I'm battling right now is how to do a better job of recruiting to the kids who don't know what ag is once they get in class they typically love it but you know I have to get them to the class first so the program has grown 
tremendously in the last six years. Um, but we want to get to a two teacher program. So we just need some more steady growth. So that's one of the things I'm battling right now is trying to figure out how to recruit to kids who are removed and get the word out about. And we've done some things with guidance, like even last year, our ninth grade um, freshman seminar classes, they got to tour all of the different electives so that when they pick as 10th graders, they know what the different options are. So I think that helped a lot and some different things like that. So we're, we're figuring it out, but I am lucky they work with me really well. Um, now and we kind of have like a system on that but I know at a lot of other schools they still struggle with you know almost like a dumping ground um and I, I would assume other electives could probably say the same but because we're also a science credit that makes it like a, a higher end dumping ground <laughs> I guess you could say so yes and no I guess Gotcha. Well, I'm glad you're turning that around. That's really good to hear. I'm glad you're not going to have that problem. Um, so yeah, so what's community support been like? I mean, I know you've got to build a booster club for the FFA program, the ag program, um, kind of recruit students and tell their parents about the program. What is, what's it been like to build community support for the program? Yeah, so I'm the only ag program in my county, um, and it's been here for a, a long time, but it's had a lot of turmoil on the time that it's been around they've had some really good times and you know this is all history that I've heard from the community because I'm not from here um, they've had some really good times and they've had some really bad times and so when I got hired I came in behind like a streak of teachers that would be there a year a half a year maybe two years a couple years and so there was no um there was no steady anything I guess you could say you know there wasn't a steady amount of um, support or a system or any sort of thing so I'm going into year six now and the first two years were a struggle kind of figuring out a how the heck I wanted to do it because I was a new teacher and then also b how I can ch change the perspective and the perception of the community that you know I'm here I'm here to stay um, and that this program can build back up to what you guys remember it to be. Um, so after the first couple of years, it is fantastic. Almost anything I need from the community I can get. Um, I have people volunteering. Like I said, the first couple of years though, uh, you know, I would ask for help or ask for assistance. And sometimes I, I wouldn't get responses. I wouldn't really get, you know, people didn't really take me serious, I would say, um, because of the amount of teachers that had been in and out in the last couple of years. But now that we've kind of worked through that and they've seen the program growing, um, you know, I have people coming and approaching our program and students in our classes or me about what they can do to help us and, and see it grow and they want to see it grow and they want to see it continue to the point where this year they're actually opening a middle school program in our county, which is so exciting. I'm super excited. Um, it will feed into us, not directly, but about 30% of the students naturally come to us, but I'm hoping that by having middle school program, you know, that amount will go up as well. Um, so that's gonna help a lot. Um, hopefully build our recruitment numbers um, and that kind of thing. But the community was like, 
ecstatic about a middle school program, which just made me so happy. So we're getting there. Um, the community is definitely behind us. Uh, we do have a very big ag community in this county, um, but the program itself had seen a little turmoil in the last few years. And so they, I, I don't know, I guess you want to say I had to prove prove it to them type of thing, you know? So it's it's gotten a ton better though. Man, that's cool. You're going to have a, a middle school program there. You have like a cool little uh, feeder program that'll get your kids educated about ag then in your high school program. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I can imagine. Yeah, and I, I've always kind of compared being an ag teacher to being like a college football coach because first you've got to build the fan base. You've got to recruit, recruit, recruit. And after you have a few years of success under your belt, then people will start supporting you more. Then you'll have more of a fan base. Then you'll have more community support. So that's really cool. Um, yeah, that's so accurate. I bet. So let's talk a little bit about certification. So when I taught, we had the, we were trying to push the Florida Nursery Growers and Landscapers Association certification. So what are some certifications that you guys have? And what, what have you seen in this push in Florida of having ag ed kids take certification exams? Yeah, so certifications are super, super important right now. Um, they play a part in school grade. And so school grade, whether we like it, we don't like it, it's what it is. Um, it also plays a part into money provided for the school. Um, there's kickbacks for every kid who passes, almost like kids who pass um, honors classes or dual enrollment classes or whatever, AP classes. Certifications kind of impact the school grade the same. So you know, there's kind of like this joke that elective teachers or CTE, I should say, career and technical teachers don't necessarily, don't, aren't real teachers or whatever, but um, the certifications that our kids take are just as serious and impact the school grade just as much. Um, so we have to do just as much, um, you know, data and uh, following students and tracking them. And so there's pluses and minuses to that, obviously. The certifications that we offer at my school is um, the Agritechnologist certification and the Associate of Agriculture certification, Animal Science certification. Those three are all through Florida Farm Bureau. Um, and then we also have a Vet Assisting certification. So those are all kind of like the ag uh, spectrum certs, I would say. Um, I try to get as many kids to pass, obviously, a year. Um, I have the ability to, my class or my program is a three-year program technically. So it would be ag foundations, ag tech one, and ag tech two. Um, so I try to allow them to take one certification a year. Um, so they would start with their associate of agriculture foundations year, do ag tech, like their second year, and then their third year, they could do the animal science one. I tend to teach a little heavier on the animal science side. So although I don't teach an animal science class, I do teach pretty heavy on the animal science side just because it's one, what I'm more comfortable with and two, I enjoy it. And three, my students enjoy it. So, you know give the people what they want type of thing. So I teach a little heavier there, so we're able to offer that certification. Um, but so every kid who passes the certification, it goes towards an acceleration point for that student, which in turn 
plays towards school grade. So every kid who passes, the school gets a kickback um, from the state. My program gets a kickback from the state. And then there's also a teacher incentive. So like if a student passes an AP exam, AP psychology, for example, they get a kickback um, from that. CTE teachers are the same. So every kid who passes a certification, the teacher gets a kickback as well. So we get like a small bonus at the end, which is, you know, kind of nice. Um, because, you know, as you can imagine, teacher salaries aren't always the best thing in the world, but that's a little bit of a way you can help supplement that. Um, so that's the school side of it. On the student side of it, I think it's great. Those are certifications that they'll be able to put on their job applications and resumes leaving high school. A lot of kids don't always have a ton of stuff to put on like a resume. That's one of the things we do in my classes. I help them build a resume. And, you know, some kids are very involved and they have school or they have part-time jobs or they are involved in a ton of clubs or sports and they can put all those things on a resume leaving high school. But then you have some kids who, who pass their classes, they pass A, B, you know, they come home and, you know, maybe do things with their church and or stay at home and help their parents and that kind of thing. But they aren't above and beyond in extracurriculars and they don't have a lot of work experience. So what in the heck can they put on there? Um, but by having a certification, they are able to put some things on there that prove to employers that they have experience in that um area. Florida Farm Bureau in the last couple years has done a really great job of building the certification program um, and expanding it every year. So now they got to the point where they're also working with different employers in our state and, you know, asking them what it is that they need from these kids who are passing certifications. And then they created a portal where kids who pass their certifications can log on and employers who are trying to hire kids who pass these certifications can log on and post jobs, and those students can go and apply for those jobs. So, you know, after they passed it before, they would just be like, okay, I have this cert, now what? Um, and and you just tell me, oh, great, cool, let's try and find you a job. But now we have like a next step, like, okay, you passed the certification, now look, here's a portal where you can log on and peruse through jobs that fit what you are certified to do. So that's really, really, really cool that Florida Farm Bureau is doing that. I think it's awesome. I was at a training this summer in Texas with other teachers from around the country, um, and a lot of them were pretty impressed by that model of certifications and kind of like the full circle model of allowing kids to, to learn the material, get certified in the material, and then help them use that certification afterwards, not just give them a piece of paper and check that box off for the school. So um, I think as the time as time goes on and the program progresses, it will only get better and better for our state. So um, that's really good. CTE has been a big push in our state, I've noticed in the last couple of years. I think they realized that the pendulum went a little too far towards only college-based um, or college-ready kids and that we need to come back to, you know, not every kid has to go to college. They can be just as successful um, in society without a college degree, but they do need a skill and they need to be good at a skill and they need to have work ethic and that sort of thing. Um, so I have seen like that shift in the last couple of years and it's been pretty cool. So I think they're good. Um, 
you know, sometimes it's a pain because it is like you have to almost teach to the test a little bit, but the tests are so well written that they are very, very similar to the state standards anyways. Um, so it really, like I said, Florida Farm Bureau has done a fantastic job, in my opinion, of, of incorporating the state standards. They're improving it every year, so I know that it'll only get better from here. Obviously, as you are building a program of that scale, there's going to be glitches along the way, but I think it's been a pretty good transition, in my opinion. So, all right, so you see it on a daily basis with kids that have no idea about agriculture. And I try to ask this to all the guests about the farmer-consumer relationship. So with your students, what are some things that you kind of see with them as consumers that maybe what better research they should do and what could farmers do better to kind of educate consumers about their food? So what, do, what, what are some thoughts you have about the farmer-consumer relationship? That is something we spend a lot of time talking about in my class. So kids will come to me like – um, or they'll even send messages on some of our little uh, correspondence uh, apps that we use to keep in touch with like the classes with the teacher or whatever. And they'll see stuff on Facebook or in a newspaper and they'll take a picture, screenshot it, send it to me, bring it in class. Um, you know, things about animal husbandry and the care of animals, obviously. I know the dairies have been taking a big hit lately um, with people kind of invading that space and who don't understand what's going on and that kind of thing but um the kids are so far removed but then also they lack skills and like research I would say that it's a bad combination so whatever reaches them first and is the most dramatic is typically what they tend to believe, I've noticed. So if they get this video of abuse or a video of somebody in a spray suit in a field or, you know, something crazy that's posted online, they automatically believe it and they don't do any research as to if it's factual, if it's non-factual, um, if it is factual, why are they doing this? Is there reasons behind it? If it's not factual, what the heck is going on? You know, they do no research whatsoever. They just believe it right off the rip. And so that is something that I talk to my kids a lot about, um, that they should start fact-checking everything and researching it and why and why it's happening and that kind of thing. One of the things we like to talk about um, is there's a really great blog by Derry Carey, Um who talks a lot about the dairy industry, obviously. And so when we go out to the barn, there are certain things they do or that we'll do as a class, as learning experiences. And I tell them I do not want them to video it because it could easily be misconstrued. They can talk about it. They can tell everybody what they did. But videos are easy to pass along. And if it gets in the wrong hands, it can be misconstrued. And so Derry Carey has created this video, which if you have not seen it, I highly suggest you go see it. Um, but she is showing one of their dairy cows who is just being lazy and doesn't want to get up and she's just laying there comfortably and her husband's trying to get the cow up and you know a 1200 pound cow doesn't just move because you want her to especially dairy cows they're just 
comfortable sitting. Um, and so there, it's laying down. And so it's, she's videoing him pushing her and she doesn't move and kind of, you know, swatting her butt, like, come on, get up. She's just comfortable. She don't want to move. She's still not moving. He pushes on her, pushes on her, all this kind of stuff. Puts, I think he puts a halter on her and pulls on her um, and tries to get her up. She just don't want to move, which, you know, show animals who are pampered are the same way. Um, so anyways, they show this clip and then she goes, watch how easily I can make this simple clip of my husband trying to get this lazy cow up um, into an animal abuse video. And she dims the light on the video and she puts some like scratchy filter on it where you know comes in and out just like all typical animal abuse videos and she puts that soft sad music that they play like in the arms of you know so they put that on um where you can't see it so well and then there's typing at the bottom explaining what's going on but explaining not what's factually going on and it, all of a sudden this simple video where she's just they're just trying to get this happy lazy fat cow up turns into an animal abuse video and it's the same video they just changed a couple things uh, and I show that to my kids and they're like oh my goodness like it clicks in their head for them so like that's one of my favorite things for them so my goal with that is to teach them that they need to learn to think for themselves and not just believe it because it's in front of them. Social media is great, but social media is also harmful. Um, in contrast to that, I would say that as, as agriculturalists, we need to figure out a better way to hit home to probably I would say the younger generation, and I don't know, it's hard because we tend to fight back with facts or, you know, here's this, here's that, but kids want drama, and I don't really know the best way to, you know, portray agriculture in that sort of way that's in a good way, so it's kind of difficult, um, but, you know, they like to believe whatever is the craziest story, um, and so I guess we just need to figure out as a whole, you know, a better way to kind of reach kids and be the ones who are the first ones they see. So if they know beforehand that this kind of stuff happens, then when they it comes across their newsfeed, they don't automatically believe it right off the rip. Or they look into it and know that, you know, oh, this is what's really happening. It's not what they say is happening. So I guess we just need to do more awareness um, activities, getting more ag in schools, I think is super important because as you can see in my school, I don't have ag kids. And so teaching them, you know, the different production practices and kind of things when something comes across their newsfeed, I pray and cross my fingers that they will know if it's factual or not factual, or at least do the, you know, justice of asking or researching and that kind of thing. So we just need to keep hammering down and figuring out ways to get in contact with more of the public. I will say sometimes it is difficult because a lot of the public doesn't want to hear the truth. They want to believe their perception of it and they don't want to hear what's really happening because that doesn't fit into, into what they believe, their dramatic, you know, illusion of what's happening. So it'll, it'll probably always be a battle, but I'm sure it'll get better. It'll ebb and flow that that whole spiel.
I like it. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I just looked up um, Dairy Carry. I'm going to have to watch that video, but it seems like a really good blog. Um, I've never thought about that, though, that they can just take a simple video, put that. Uh, I forget the name of that song, but it's like in the arms. Yes. Like a super sad song and then just yeah. dim the, the lighting where you can't see anything. And man, that's crazy. I like that. They're all really, really good points. And you're right. Consumers want to want to hear what they want to hear. And kids like dramatic stuff. So the more dramatic, the more it's going to get their attention. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, that's cool. Well, Jenna, this has been a really cool conversation, learning about high school ag ed and everything that has to do about ag ed and FFA and kind of your job. I know it's an exhausting job. It's a crazy job. But, I mean, when you see that light go off in the kid's face when he's learned about agriculture or anything, that, that makes it all worth it. So kudos to you. And good job for staying in it for, for a couple of years. I only lasted two years. So kudos for you for lasting a good long time. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks for being on. We'll have to have you on in the future one day. uh, And we wish you the best of luck, Jenna. Absolutely. Thank you, Trevor. Hey, everyone. We're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. And that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films, download the app, and watch and listen anywhere.